Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is George Dawes Green. He is the founder of The Moth and the winner of the Edgar Award for his novel, The Caveman's Valentine. His new novel is The Kingdoms of Savannah, which is published by our friends at Celadon Books. George, welcome to the program. It's um, lovely to be here. It's an honor to have you here, George. And my first question for you is about these past couple of years and COVID-19, how have you been doing and how has COVID-19 affected the moth, if at all? Well, the moth uh, was deeply affected by COVID-19, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, in essence, the moth is a community, you know, it's about gathering with friends to listen to stories. So when that was taken away, there was Zoom and, you know, a lot of Zoom moth, which was um, l- lovely, but um, it's so good now to be able to come back to live shows. And the live shows are just um, a tremendously well received. It, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny, you know, a lot, of, a lot of venues can't get the audience back, but the moth did not have any problem with that. We sort of opened and boom, the audience was so glad to come back. Sometimes with masks, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, but just a sense of that sense of community again. I was just I did a moth just uh, a few weeks ago in Seattle, and um, you know the uh, standing room only people standing all along uh, the edges of this theater, and it was just quite thrilling to be back with a crowd again. Yeah, I bet it has been nice to uh, attend performances again. Thank you so much, George. Um, I now want to talk about Savannah and the idea that it may seem to your readers that Savannah, uh, where your novel takes place, is a city out of a fairy tale. Uh, Please describe Savannah for our listeners and what aspects of the city may seem unreal to listeners in, say, San Francisco or Aspen, Colorado. Well, if you've been to Savannah, you'll know it's it's incredibly beautiful. Um, yeah. The Spanish moss is hanging everywhere. Um, and it's also kind of gloomy because the Spanish moss looks a little bit like the shawls of your great aunt. Um, and it's often very hot. So it feels yeah. like your great aunt's kitchen um, when she's boiling tea. Um, yeah. But it's a beautiful city. And it's just got some of the most varied architecture, incredibly well laid out by General Oglethorpe back in 1742 with all of these squares. And it feels like an old world city. And it's kind of small and compact, but it has just, first of all, a fascinating and somewhat dark history but also it's full of life and it's full of, it's always been full of artists and um, it's a great place for creativity. It's, um, it, it, it's an amazing place. And I am, um, I will always be a Savannian. That said, um, that history is really dark. 
So um, well, the kingdoms of Savannah is my exploration of why the city is so wonderful and why it's so awful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, George. And I'm hoping that you can now take a moment to set your novel, The Kingdoms of Savannah, up for our listeners. Well, a, a Savannah matriarch, um, uh, Morgana Musgrove, uh, in her 60s, who lives in a great big Victorian mansion, Romanesque revival in the middle of the city, uh, when her husband dies, she realizes that he has all sorts of little businesses that she's only slightly known about. And one of them is a detective agency. And she is approached by um, a client who has been accused of arson and murder, um, a very, very wealthy real estate guy, kind of an odious guy who... Um, is accused of having torched one of his own buildings for the insurance. And then uh, it happened, there was a vagabond sleeping in uh, one of the upper rooms who burned to death. And so he's being held for both arson and murder. And his lawyer approaches Morgana and offers her a tremendous amount of money to investigate the case. And Morgana, um, rather strangely accepts, even though it seems quite clear that this man is guilty, but Morgana has some ideas about the case. And she then draws her big dysfunctional family together to help her. Um, uh, her children are rather fed up with her because she's a manipulative, mean, nasty woman, as well as being quite brilliant um, and quite witty but they are tired of her and they don't want anything to do with this case. But um, nevertheless, she inveigles them all, um, her, her children and some of her grandchildren into helping her with the case. So this becomes this big, um, uh, very complex mystery that has its roots deep in Savannah's um, dark past. And so it's both um, a contemporary novel and kind of an examination of, of Savannah's history. And, and the idea is, is that Savannah and the Musgrove family need to come to a reckoning with the past. And they do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, George. Um, I want to talk a little bit further about this um, character, the matriarch, uh, the, the elder Musgrove. How does her behavior affect her children, um, specifically Ransom Musgrove? Um, how has his mother's behavior, um, both in the present and when he was a child, um, affected him? Well, she's always been so mean and nasty and manipulative and accused him, you know, when he was... 12 years old, um, one morning she was drunk and went out onto the balcony of this big house and ranted to all the neighborhood um, about Ransom's deficiencies and said that he was destined to be a vagabond. He's gone through a lot of trouble with his mother um, and for some years, he was a lawyer, got into uh, deep trouble with his brother, 
wound up in jail. When he came out of jail, he wouldn't go back to his old life, but he settled in one of the in, uh, homeless encampments that encircle Savannah. Um, there's a, about 39 of them at last count. Um, and so he is the family ne'er-do-well, but Morgana is intent on getting ransom to help with the case. And because of his connections with the, with the homeless community, he actually has a lot of information that proves really valuable in this case. Absolutely, thank you so much, George. Um, I now wanna ask you about the character, the musician. Uh, this character that walks around town whistling. Uh, this reminded me initially of Omar from The Wire. Uh, when I read the scene at the beginning of your novel, my first thought was Omar coming. Um, was this intentional? And can you tell us more about the musician and characters like the musician, uh, both within your novel and uh, without? Well, I wasn't trying to uh, channel Omar. I'm, I was actually, to some degree, I'm channeling. There was a, uh, a, a, a man that we called the musician who used to wander around Savannah and whistle. Um, and whistle incredibly beautiful and complex tunes. Was able to whistle, in fact, two notes at once um, by putting his tongue sort of in the middle. And I mean, I've, I've heard other people uh, who can do this, my friend, for, Fred Newman can actually um, split his notes so that he's always harmonizing with himself. And it's quite gorgeous. That's what the musician does. But he wanders around Savannah and he never likes to show his face, but people are always hearing him. And so if you try to track down where this whistling is com coming from, you aren't likely to find him. He's a very plain and mild-mannered man, but he has an incredible amount of knowledge about the city. And every now and then he'll appear to impart some of that knowledge at key moments in the story. Absolutely a fascinating character. Thank you so much, George. Listeners, we're gonna take a short break here for a word from our sponsor. Then I will be right back with George Dawes Green. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with George Dawes Green, author of Kingdoms of Savannah, which is published by our friends at Celadon Books. George, I want to talk about the art of Southern pretending. And what I mean is folks like the housekeeper at Ransom's mother's house who pretend like everything is fantastic when everyone knows it is not. Um, is this a particularly Southern thing, George, to keep up facades like this? Why does this happen? does seem to me that that's, that really sums up the Southern narrative. Um, 
has always been that there's this always this idea that whatever reality is, there is a narrative that you uh, have to believe in and that that's what comes out at the dinner table. So, you know, I, when I grew up, um, we didn't live in Savannah. We lived about an hour south of the city, but my mom thought that Savannah was our capital city. We were, I am an eighth generation Savannian. And so we'd drive up to the city and meet with our, with my mom's cousins. And my mother was named Inez. Um, the cousins were named Inez. And they loved to tell stories about my mom's grandmother, who was always known as Big Inez. And they always wanted to remember the South and to remember the good old days. And every memory they had was beautiful. They remembered a world full of love and a world full of peace because everybody knew uh, their place in that world. And I found that to be a really dark vision. And it was very difficult for me to submit to these afternoon teas, even though there was so much sweetness there. But uh, yeah, what you're talking about, uh, this the question of, of delusion, um, it, it's pretty constant. Um, and there is there are lots and lots of those people still who, you know, make every day, a, uh, every day needs to be a smile, let a smile be your umbrella. And nothing ever really went wrong in the South. And people just don't understand how lovely things have always been here. Mm -hmm. That absolutely is a trait of the South. Yeah, it is. You're reminding me of a conversation I had with an author um, last year who wrote a memoir where one of his classmates was informed in class that the South lost the Civil War and he just started crying. <laughs> he, just, he had no idea. And so interesting. Well, um, <laughs> thank you so much, well, one George. Time my, yeah. One time my cousin Alice, um, I'm sorry, my cousin Zibby, uh, not too long ago, told me the story of how she had been driving with my grandmother, Lillian, um, through the streets of Waynesboro, Georgia. And she, um, she was looking, they were looking out at some Confederate memorials and Zibby was like 11 years old and said, um, grandmother, wh why do you always say that, that, that the, the Confederate cause was so wonderful. I mean, I mean, they lost. And um, my grandmother then ordered the car to be stopped and told her, child, get out of this car and walk home and never say anything bad about the South again. And that's really interesting because my grandmother was a very sweet woman woman who would never have scolded a child unless she felt this was something essential but she mm -hmm. really really felt that you know that there was nothing to say about the confederacy except good things it's quite bizarre yeah bizarre indeed um yeah i'll never forget when i moved to san francisco and then moved went back to visit some friends in columbia south carolina when they were still flying the confederate flag um over the state house and just yeah. how insane that was um yeah when i was 15 years old i i couldn't take it anymore and i dropped out of high school and stuck my thumb out and hitchhiked to new york and we did not come back for years 
to the South. I eventually came back and made terms with it, but um, yeah, that stuff was was brutal and dark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you, George. And continuing along these lines, sort of, um, as someone who lived in the South for many years and who now doesn't, talking about myself here, um, I want to ask the following question. Do people in Georgia, even though you grew up there, express any hesitation about you writing about Savannah, Georgia, or the South in general, now that you live in Brooklyn? I haven't heard that. Um, it, I'm sure that all sorts of things are said about me behind my back. I don't hear that particularly. I just hear, uh, I actually was surprised that I didn't get more resistance to the kingdoms of Savannah um, because uh, it's a provocative book and particularly it's condemned Savannah pretty harshly in, uh, in terms of its history. Um, it also holds out some hope for the future, but I expect that many readers didn't get to that part. Um, readers who might have been furious about my portrayal of the city, I just had to portray what I, what I saw. And, you know, I've been sort of researching the history of Savannah for years. So I tell a lot of historical stories that are never talked about in the city. I expected that that was gonna um, create a lot of um, blowback, but I, I haven't gotten a lot of it. it. You know, every now and then I've heard that um, some, of, some folks feel like, oh, I'm not giving a good picture of the city, but I think, you know, Savannah is also kind of used to after Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. When that came out, everybody in Savannah thought, oh, this is gonna destroy our city. The talk of this, you know, that there were uh, homosexual people here and there are murders and there are uh, all sorts of dark things going on. And it didn't, it didn't destroy the character of the city, it rather enhanced it. And the business people of Savannah are very pro Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. So I think that they don't really have a problem with the kingdoms of Savannah so yeah. far. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know that the book has been very well received. So um, thank you, George. Um, I want to talk again about the murder of this character, Luke, in this novel, um, which you describe as a Savannah kind of murder. What does this mean? How does a Savannah kind of murder differ from any other kind of murder? Well, a Savannah kind of murder, according to Morgana Musgrove, um, who's pretty much an expert on this, Savannah kind of murder usually involves a man, a stupid man, an angry man, but a man who has uh, a, an overabundance of confidence and believes he can do anything and um, uh, often then gets set up in some entrepreneurial activity, which often involves selling methamphetamine or um, or, um, or you know, theft of uh, aluminum coils, or and and what happens is that at some point the scheme goes awry. Um, then a cover-up is called for, and um, that creates uh, bloodshed. And then the scheme goes even more awry, and there's more bl bloodshed, and and then finally um, it just all collapses into 
uh, a kind of slaughter that's almost unimaginable. This happens in Savannah and the Enverins all the time. And one of the stories that, that I talk about is, is the story of the brother, uh, Guy Heinz, um, who really did kill, murder eight of his family members um, in a trailer uh, about an hour south of Savannah about 10 years ago. So I kind of riff on that story and take it somewhere else. But these Savannah murders um, are, are just sort of based upon this, this kind of insanity. It feels though like, like these particular variety of Savannah crimes happen all the time. Morgana thinks it's because there's some kind of a, a, of a, a miasmal gas that's leaching up into all the houses from the storm drains below. Um, so uh, I, I don't know, but the, the, I, I just find again and again and again, Savannah, the, the stories of Savannah crimes, which be, always become so insane that you can't believe in them anymore. You know, you want to throw your Savannah morning newspaper down on the floor. <laughs> this is Kipti. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much, George. I want to ask you um, about a quote from um, another great Southern novelist, Thomas Wolfe, uh, as it relates to your characters. Uh, Thomas Wolfe writes that you can't go home again. My question for you, George, is can you? Well, you can't go home again because that home, um, that home is a bit rotten. Um, what you really need to do is to go and make a new home. And I think that's what's happening in Savannah. I mean, partly I've been thinking about the reception of, uh, to this book. Uh, some historians uh, ha are organizing now um, to uh, have a symposium soon, I think in October. Um, to bring the community together and talk about some of the things that uh, I've been talking about in the kingdoms of Savannah in, in our past. It's a, uh, there's a movement now to have a real reckoning with our past. There are, the Savannah um, has activists now um, who are, who I think they're going to be um, successful now and changing the name of Calhoun Square, which is named for that famous racist, um, and change it to Taylor Square, to name it after Susie Taylor, who was a, um, uh, a black nurse during the Civil War who became uh, a famous educator. Um, that kind of a reckoning, that sort of thing that's happening in Savannah, there's a lot of resistance to it. There's so much more that has to happen. But um, I think there is, there are the seeds of a really healthy city there. I think it will be, it'll always be a beautiful city. It'll always be a beacon to artists and to creative people. And uh, I think that we're gonna be okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much, George. Um, finally, because we are a podcast um, of this uh, beautiful bookstore in Aspen, Colorado, Explore Booksellers, a longtime indie bookstore, presented in conjunction with uh, my friends at Quail Ridge Books, another longtime indie bookstore in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
I'm hoping that you can tell our listeners about the work you've done in the past to support indie bookstores and why you think it's important. Well, you know, about, oh, I guess it was about uh, 11 years ago, I I got an old yellow Bluebird school bus and we loaded it up with um, musicians and raconteurs and we went on a tour, it was called the Unchained Tour. Um, and we went to towns in the South um, where there were still independent bookstores. And some of them were very small towns and you were surprised that there was still an uh, indie bookstore. Some of them were big cities. And then we would have celebrations of these bookstores and always the sense that in any community, the community was gathering around the bookstore. The bookstore should really be the heart of uh, any American community. Um, We did several of these tours. We took one time, I took my friend, Joan Juliet Buck, who was the um, editor of Paris Vogue. Once we took Neil Gaiman, um, the brilliant uh, English author. Um, Everybody had a blast on these tours. Uh, I want to do them again. I didn't, I didn't have time to pursue it then, but um, I really feel as though um, there's just a sense in which bookstores in the middle of uh, towns all over America provide this connection with culture that's so much richer than the internet. Um, I mean, I can't be completely against the internet. Um, we're on the internet right now, but... Um, what the work I've done with the moth um, and with the Unchained tour, and simply with writing books, is all about um, a different kind of sharing in uh, a, you know a different kind of community sharing, which feels to me to be infinitely richer than this little gray box that we all worship. Absolutely, thank you so much, George. I hope if you do it again that you'll come see us here in Aspen and uh, in Raleigh. I know that we would both love to host you. Listeners, I've been speaking with George Dawes Green, author of Kingdoms of Savannah, which is published by our friends at Celadon Books. George, thank you so much for joining me. Thank, thank you so much. And I will, I will try to bring a tour by there. Once again, I would like to thank George Dawes Green for joining me. Copies of Kingdoms of Savannah can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Quail Ridge Books and Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies and this has been Booking.